Welcome to Betrayal Recovery Radio, the official podcast of APSATS, the Association of Partners of Sex Addict Trauma Specialists, hosted by Dr. Jake Porter. APSATS is a nonprofit organization providing professional training and compassionate support to partners affected by problematic sexual behavior and betrayal trauma. In each episode, Dr. Jake guides a conversation of enlightening insights and practical tools to empower those affected by sex addiction and betrayal trauma to use their voices and live their values. The mission of Betrayal Recovery Radio is to offer hope to those in need of healing and growth to those moving through grief. And now, here's your host, Dr. Jake Porter. Well, welcome to this week's episode of Betrayal Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Jake Porter. And this week, I am pulling from my archives some content that I think you're really going to enjoy. You know, as I've worked with many, uh, many, many sex addicts and their partners over the years, and we've gotten beyond the initial uh, stages of safety and stability, uh, and begun some of the deeper work, the grief work, the work looking at the relational dynamic that exists within that relationship, one of the things that has been um, clear to me is the pro- profound power of neglect in childhood. So many sex addicts, not all, but so many sex addicts have stories of neglect in their childhood. And there are lasting effects of neglect. This is something we now know uh, from advances in neuroscience and developmental psychology. We understand the need to be nurtured from early on in order to build out our own capacity for um, self-regulation, for um, understanding and and regulating our own emotions. And uh, so many of the people that I've worked with did not get a lot of that. You know, and um, and and there have been partners as well who, as I've worked with them, they have come to see that they themselves um, maybe suffered neglect at various points in their developmental years. And so um, today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play you uh, a, an interview that I did a few years back at the 2020 Choose Connection Summit with a dear friend of mine who is also a wonderful colleague. Her name is Enid. Gray. Uh, Enid is a clinical social worker. She's a certified sex addiction therapist. She's a professional life coach and she's a certified EMDR practitioner. She's got over 20 years of experience in private practice. She first trained to work with sex addicts in 2001, which is a long time ago in this field. So she's been doing this for quite some time. And she's also got extensive practice uh, and, and done extensive work with treating betrayal trauma in partners, complex PTSD, childhood abuse, trauma, and neglect. And Enid wrote a book titled Neglect the Silent Abuser, which helps people recognize and heal from neglect. Enid is based in Houston, Texas, where I am as well. She really is a dear friend. She's a wonderful person with a a tremendous heart for both addicts and their partners to see them come out of suffering and into flourishing. And so I hope today you'll enjoy this conversation on neglect with Enid Gray. Well, hello, Enid. How are you today? I'm great. It's so great to see you, Jake. 
Oh, it's great to see you too, my friend. In this time when we don't see each other very much except on screen. That's right. That's right. Well, I'm grateful for it. I definitely am. And, um, you know, they've, they've heard your official bio. And so uh, everyone watching right now, they, they've got a sense of who you are. But, but um, you know, I, I, when I think about you, you're, you're a wonderful person. You've become a dear friend. You're a wonderful clinician. But you've also written um, your book, Neglect, uh, the, mm-hmm. the Silent Abuser, right? Yeah. And, um, I just want to start out by asking you why, why write about neglect? Oh my, I've been in practice for a long, long time. And over and over through the years, I recognized people that would say, I really had always ask an intake. What were your parents like? What was your childhood like? Did you experience any kind of abuse or neglect? Uh, And they would say, Oh no, no, my parents were lovely. I had a great childhood. And yet, in the course of treatment, um, there would be a lot of indicators that there definitely was neglect, even if there was no abuse at all. So, I mean, that's not saying that when children are abused, of course, they know about it when it's over abuse. But, and neglect is part of that, of course. But children who were just simply neglected, and I say simply, uh, that's really a very mild word for it, um, they just don't recognize it. So that's why I called it the silent abuser. So for a year, a couple of years, I had about 7,000 words that I had written because I wanted to write about it. And in one day, it was in 20, beginning of 2018, I'll never forget it. Uh, I have a little time where I pray and meditate in the morning and I just felt this is going to be the year. This is the year. And once I dedicated myself to it, and started researching it. It just seemed like it seemed like almost every time in the morning that I would meditate, I would get some more thoughts. So that was the year of finishing up the book. That's wonderful. Um, I remember yeah. that year. I remember yes, that's right. that journey for you. And uh, for you who don't know, Enid and I used to office together, share a suite together. And yeah. um, I really miss those days. But, you know, a lot of people I'm imagining folks watching this right now, they might think, yeah, neglect is bad, but, you know, abuse, you, you know, is neglect yeah, really abuse? Yeah. How is it abusive? And, and how is it different than other types of abuse? Well, because it's so subtle. It's, it's called attachment disorder, actually, you know, in the official terms. But, um, a lot of people think, oh, well, it's about parents who abandon you. And it's not necessarily, although it is that too, that's more overt, where parents just let leave the family and that hurts as badly. But it's about parents who were there, but not there. Mm. That's the thing. The parents may be present in the home, but they're not paying any attention to the child. And the child takes that as something personally wrong with them. They're flawed, they were bad, something wrong with me. And this internal development of a child doesn't develop properly. And it's the younger a child is when that occurs, the worse it is. So even if something happened when a child was pre-verbal, they don't recognize it because they don't have words for it. It's just an empty, gnawing feeling inside 
that can't be defined. And so, yes, there are results from that. Yeah, so it's just to think about it in in a way that maybe some folks can relate to, sort of the classic example of a kid, you know, like toddler age, maybe early child, mm-hmm. so maybe a little older than toddle, toddler, early childhood, if mom and dad are getting a divorce, the kid who says, what did I do wrong, right? Because they're egocentric. Every, kids exactly. think that they're powerful. Everything's yeah, about them. They have that kind of power. Yeah. Right. Because they just don't know better. And you're saying, though, that then one of the things that can be, I guess, experienced through that sort of egocentric uh, living in the world is neglect, is, is a lack of experience or a lack of involvement with a parent. Yes. Wow. Yes. And, you know, it just goes all the way back to brain formation. Mm-hmm. You know, when a baby's born, it's left brain, you know, that uh, word, you know, the part of the brain, the left brain that has the words and the, the thinking and all of that right. is fully developed, but the right brain is not. And that's the brain that carries the feelings and the emotions, mm. the nonverbal, quiet part of the brain. Mm. If the mother is not available to the child and, you know, parents, you know, sometimes they're not going to be available. They're going to be in a bad mood, but I'm talking about uh, chronically unavailable or chronically Mm. angry or chronically ashamed and shaming or whatever is going on in the home. If that's not there, the right brain of that baby does not develop properly. And therefore, you have people who can't feel their, they don't even know they have feelings. They're just numb. Because the because they haven't had that mirroring interaction with the caregiver, you're saying. Exactly. Where the caregiver's yeah, responsive, it. helping them understand their experience and organize their experience. That's, that's so sad. I mean, just thinking about it makes me sad. <laughs> it really it does. It is. It's very sad. And, and I also imagine that there are folks watching right now who our parents and they're, they're probably like, Oh my goodness, did I screw up my child? But you use the term chronic, right? So it's yes, not about perfect. This is not about bashing parents at all. We all do the best we can. Thank you. Know? you. Yeah. yeah uh, and I think, you know, if you, there's, there's called something called the still face studies. If you've mm-hmm. seen that, anybody can Google that but the mother is interacting with the child and then the mother looks away and then the baby starts crying. Well, the point is, is that you're not going to, you're not going to be perfect. We're imperfect humans. So the idea is that you always come back to the child. You come back, you make a mistake. You say, I'm sorry. You're still precious to me. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. Right. Right. The clinical term is actually good enough, right? A good enough parent, which That's right. is so relieving. <laughs> yes. And you always, you know, I don't want anybody thinking, well, oh, I have nobody really deliberately, unless they're a sociopath, messes up their children. Right. They, they want the very best for their children. In fact, many, many parents want better for their children than what they had. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, so let's dig into this a little bit more. What would be some of the risk factors, you know, for neglect? What would set someone up, a child up to experience neglect? There are, there are all kinds of risk factors. I just named 10 in the book, 
but then there's variations on all those th same themes. Um, one is if one parent or both parents suffer some sort of mental illness. Mm -hmm. And I think this is the prime part of this is that nobody will talk to the child about it uh, in truthful terms. Oh, wow. And so in that case, then the child thinks there's something wrong with them. It's almost why like, does mommy go away to the hospital or mom? Why does mommy spend all day in bed? Or this is like, a case of a, it's like gaslighting the child. Well, certainly. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, that kind of goes for anything that's going in in the home when it's pretty obvious the elephant is in the room, but the parents, <clears throat> excuse me, they won't acknowledge it. They make up stories or they say, we don't, we're not going to talk about that. Oh no, that not didn't really happen. Uh, and I think that happens in a lot of homes. That's not necessarily neglect, but it's not not really healthy for the child. Right. You can find ways of age-appropriate explanations. Right, right. Okay, so uh, mental illness in the home, what are some other risk factors? Okay, if, if there's alcoholism, mm -hmm. drug addiction, that sort of thing, of course the parents are not going to be available. Yeah. They're, too available to their uh, to their addiction. Right. Um, workaholics. I've seen a lot of people have a story about a child that was had very wealthy parents. They had uh, very good business related jobs, and they hired a nanny to be with the child. Um, but the little girl knew that that lady was not her mother because she had other children that she cared more about. So of course the little girl was the hero child and did beautifully in school until she got to be an adult and married. She married well uh, and then she went into a deep depression. Uh, and so the good news is, is that she got help and got therapy and realized that she had been neglected and uh, Ross, that she was perfect, perfectly imperfect, just the way she was. Wow. So, Thank you. You know, that, um, so that, that brings up a good question uh, as well, which is what are some signs today, like folks who are listening to this right now, what are some things they might be experiencing today that would be indicators that this would be something worth exploring for them, whether or not they experienced neglect as a child what might we look for uh you mean in their own behaviors right right so if i'm seeing this in my life or this in my life maybe neglect is something i should explore in my childhood well um it, you, since since your summit is about couples uh there's a lot of indicators in intimate relationships right. uh, people who are neglected they have it's all you know it runs the gamut sure. one extreme could be they just feel like they can't trust anybody at all mm. so they're they're very closed off very walled off can't feel their feelings uh, addictions is a big big factor because right. the, the child had to survive addictions are not about someone being a bad person are just drinking too much or just looking at pornography or are acting out outside the marriage. They're not about that. They're a response to a wound and a way that the child survived 
But then when they got old enough and it became something they couldn't stop doing, then it becomes their destroyer. Wow. Um, so another thing you look at, you people who were neglect, neglected feel like there's nobody going to be there for them. So therefore, they have to do everything themselves. They can't ask for help. Right. Uh, a lot of people who were neglected are angry or they're, uh, they can't connect. They, mm -hmm. they get in series of unhealthy relationships. Uh, always looking for that, that something that's going to fill the emptiness. And that's a characteristic of addicts as well. Sure. So, I mean, if, if people think, well, oh, I'm not an addict. Well, we need to think again because you get addicted to sweeping the floor. You, you think it's something you do over and over and over just to keep you numb. Wow. And this is not just the bad feelings. A, a lot of people have trouble feeling good because when they feel good and joyful, then they think something's wrong. Something's about to go bad right now. Because mm, so, it can't last. It can't last. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Okay. So um, one of the things that you talk about in the book, that, that there, there are a lot of parts that really unfold neglect and that for me, when I read it, I, I had never made the connection that, you know, that could be a form of neglect. And one of those is over control. Cause I think of, you know, when I thought of neglect, it was like hands off, like way the other well, side. Sure, that's what everybody thinks. Right. That's so that's what everybody thinks. So talk about that, how, how being overly controlled is a different side of neglect. Okay, so I'm just going to kind of get started with uh, who we are to begin with. You know, when sure. we come into this world, we're kind of like a beautiful little blank slate. You've experienced that recently yourself. I sure have, yes. And, you know, it's, it's the caregivers that model that and, and show the child the way to go. And that's a that is a healthy way of helping the child develop his or her sense of self. And I define self as something divine, something divine that is a capital S, something divine that lives within the child. So that sense of self needs to be developed and guided in a healthy way so that the child is able to have his or her own preferences, opinions as appropriate. So it's the parent's job to guide the child and to lovingly help the child develop their sense of self. Now, there are parents who had planned what little Johnny was going to do before he was ever born. Mm. They planned he would be a big burly football player or something like that. And the child was born being rather frail, like his mother had liked to play the piano. So you see how uh, there was this disconnect there. Or parents who uh, expect their child to take this or that lessons not that you don't encourage your child to take different things but in other words you control the parents when i say you the parents control everything that child thinks does and says mm. if they have an opinion about something no 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 that's not right or people won't like you if if you're this or you're that you can't take this uh this subject in school you have to take that subject in school you can't play with those friends 
not because they're a bad influence, because we just don't like them. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. And that goes through religion as well. You must believe that way or you're going to burn in hell. Uh, it just goes on and on. Now, why is that so, Why is that neglect? Because it's not about the benefit of the child. It's, right. it's right. the parents can look good and get their needs met. Wow. And so the child grows up feeling empty and not having any sense of how to make a decision because it's always always the parents that made it for them. Do you understand how that works? So it's, so we're all, the, the child is born with this self. So it mm -hmm. comes into the world with all this potential. It's the caregiver's job to, to basically let that seed blossom. And you're saying yes. if they keep confining it and, you know, maybe this is uh, meant to be a rose and they're trying to shape it into a daffodil, Correct. that's neglect because they're neglecting that child's ability to, to, um, to, to, to have this identity flourish. Yeah, from, yeah, exactly. You know, in a form of that over control is enmeshment. Mm. You know, when when the parent makes, let's just let's just say the parents are not getting along with each other. Dad's always traveling, and so mother makes uh, the little boy uh, the person that she talks about about her problems, about current events. He feels really special, right. but she denies him the right to be a child, just a carefree child. So you might look at it this way neglect just that we know about the abandonment kind of neglect is when you turn your back on the child and walk away wow the other kind of neglect is when you face the child and you get too close to where you smother them you smother their little spirit mm. and they grow up empty and and uh these are people who easily get influenced into getting into cult-like stuff because they don't have any decision-making ability someone always did that for them yeah. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And the connection I'm making in my head right now, because you know I'm a I'm an attachment theory geek. And I'm yeah. thinking about how an attachment theory, there's that paradox that the the more securely at, attached I am, the more freedom I feel to go live my life because I have this relationship to come back to. And yes, when I hear you describe these two sort of forms of neglect. One is the lack of that secure base, that safety. And so you're just left on your own out here. Yes. yes. The other is, oh, you're never going to leave home base. <laughs> and if you try, Smothering. it's going to come with you. And so you Smothering. never get, yeah. get that paradox of freedom insecurity. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Wow. You know, and, I mean, it's, it's true that some, some neglected individuals are real clingy. They're clingy. Are there the other extreme where, uh, leave me alone. I'm going to do my own thing. I, I can't, I don't need any help. Yeah. 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 Wow. So, um, so many people who experience neglect, they, they have no idea, right? They don't, they don't know they were neglected. So why? Usually it shows up in their relationships. Hmm. Their wife or husband's not happy with what's going on with them. Yeah. yeah. And they think everything's okay. They think 
They think they're fine and it's the other one that's wrong. Yeah. Usually. And and I imagine I think the male's here. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Don't worry I'm about it. I'm ignoring it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I uh I've got one too and he he barks at the male every day. So um um so um that that person who is in a relationship they've been neglected they think the other person's got the problem but you know really they're suffering from the neglect they experienced um what i'm i, I want to check this out with you it's been a while since we've been able to just talk so this is a kind of a newer idea for me i want to i want you to <laughs> test it against your okay. your research and knowledge of neglect so often and probably in this summit, people are tired of hearing me bring this up in interviews, but it's just, it's, it's on the front burner for me right now. Is this about the brain? It is. It is a little <laughs> bit. It is a little bit. Yes. So often for the partner of someone, an addict or someone who's experienced neglect or some form of abuse, it feels like this person, the, the partner feels like this person, you know, isn't trying you know, won't just won't do what they're they need to do, won't connect, won't um, show empathy, won't, you know, all of these things. And really, because of these effects on the brain that you started talking about earlier, it's not that they won't, it's that they can't. They can't. There's a deficit. Yes. Which we have to be careful. That's not an excuse because they still are responsible you know, for their own healing and development. Exactly. We see once you become aware of it, you can't go back to sleep. And that's the point. Right. You got to be aware of it. What was the method you used to survive? Okay. You got to have mm. figure that one out. And well, say more, say therapy. more about that. That's, that's so important. Through therapy, of course, you know, the sure. therapist helps you discover that you can either do EMDR, SE or talk therapy, however, but you've, the person that's not able to do those things like you're talking about right. doesn't realize that they can't do those things until then they know why you see. Yeah. Once they figure that out, but you yeah. see everything that happens to you and I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. Everything that happens to you is stored in the cells of the body, even before birth. Wow. So it's all stored there in the midbrain. Mm -hmm. Finally, the male person is leaving. <laughs> <laughs> Not a problem. <laughs> it's okay. Early today. Um, so what was I saying? Uh, it's store, it's store, oh, well, all the experiences. The, the wife, let's just say the wife can't understand why her husband cannot be empathetic with her. Because right. nobody was ever empathetic with him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he, he didn't learn how to do that. Right. Empathy has to be uh, uh, developed. It's a capacity that has to be nurtured and developed. It's not something inborn in us. So if I never received it, I don't have it to give, basically. That's correct. Saying. Yeah. Yeah. And if you'd like me to talk a little more about the amygdala and the HPA axis and that sort of thing, because this, this is amazing to me. Let's do it. And you sent me a graphic. Uh, in case we do yeah, it's this. a so very, very share. simple brain. There we I go. don't get into all the bajillion parts of the brain. I just like the, the main ones. Okay. So, so the eyeballs would be up here. 
Yes, this is the prefrontal cortex through which we are conscious and we, we think and we talk and we figure things out with that, okay? okay. The temporal lobe down here uh, is the limbic system and every experience that you experienced and the feelings and emotions that go with that is stored there. Mm -hmm. So, uh, also, I'm, I want to talk a little bit about the HPA axis. It, those are the chemicals that are produced by the uh, adrenal glands, and there's two other chemicals as well. When someone is in trauma, fight or flight or freeze, and when that happens, the blood flow goes back here to the, to the back part of the brain, okay? So if the blood flow is going to the back part of the brain, what happens to the blood flow that's supposed to go to our thinking brain? Right. It's yeah. reduced. Right. So we're yeah. not able to make very wise decisions when we are activated like that. Right. So, so functionality, so this functionality goes down and yes. this more primitive part is firing. Yeah. More. It's, it's our survival brain. Right. The survival brain is has lit up. However, when the survival brain lights up, some people kind of learn to stay in that state all the time when they're traumatized as little kids. Mm. And you know, the, with outright abuse, of course that lights up. But even with neglect, when the child is feeling sad and empty and all, the memories still are stored there. And so when someone gets, uh, I'm kind of going off, off the path a bit, but when someone grows up and gets in recovery, uh, there is not that high level of uh, excitement anymore when mm. they're in recovery and they feel somewhat kind of bored. Wow. Wow. And, and I'm but, thinking back to something you shared earlier about when we're born, that right brain not being fully formed. And so I'm, I'm trying to put together these pieces that you're sharing. It sounds like an, like this part of the brain in the, on the right-hand side anyway, is gonna be less developed in someone who's experienced neglect. And so that capacity up here, they're starting from a deficit, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. You start from a, a deficit and, and you can get triggered. Triggers are very interesting in that your trigger may not be about, about what you're triggered about. Mm -hmm. It may be about something that happened because the amygdala back here, mm. <laughs> I'm pointing to the amygdala back there, right in there. Yeah. lights up. Uh, and it may be lighting up because this experience feels very familiar. But you don't realize that it's about that experience back there when you were 10. Right. You think it's her. Right. Because there's no <laughs> sense of time. That won't shut up. Yeah. Yeah, there's no sense of time here uh, in this part of the brain, right? No. On the right-hand side particularly. No. Yeah. Wow. It's all stored. It's very powerful. So the other part of this, uh, and I found this very fascinating in the research that I did, and there's been a lot of uh, study with epigenetics, mm -hmm. which epi just means above, above the genes. And it's, although people inherit diseases 
in ways of thinking and emotions, of course, from their parents or predispositions and so on. They also can inherit ways of seeing the world and ways of thinking. And, you know, kind of an example of this, you know, do you ever find yourself saying or doing something that you promised yourself you would never do because mm. that was what your mother or father said all the time <laughs> and it drove you nuts and you swore you'd never do that but here you are saying it or doing it and, and that's that epigenetic part where uh generationally ways of seeing the world passed down to us uh and we don't even yeah. realize it wow so that's really powerful do, do you want me to leave this up or do you have more to say no I, that's okay. about it on the right i just want people to realize that yeah. the decisions they make may not always be conscious decisions Absolutely. like the wife that says how did i marry a sex addict well <laughs> it's unconscious yeah, and besides that's not all of who they are yeah yeah no one no one went that was their survival mm, let's see, mechanism. Is this? This is, okay sex addict check that box i'll marry him <laughs> it doesn't work that way no one deliberately does that right right so um i want to i want to kind of pivot now we've talked a lot about the experience of neglect its effect on the brain how it shows up later in life what about healing how does the healing happen for folks well, there's a lot of different ways. Let me just say this. I know my last question was, this, uh, I mean, the, my last thing that I said was it was a trick question. How do you know when you've arrived? Healing is something that's a progressive. Your, your life is a journey, but there's several different things that you could do. And I think the main thing is getting to know who you are, exploring your childhood with an open mind, an open heart uh, and it's not all about what's up here I mean you've operated a lot of people who are neglected are totally they intellectualize everything right they're very right. smart uh, they're very savvy they're very good at manipulation sometimes uh, but they haven't married their head to their heart and your healing is heart work wow. so I would suggest that, and you know I have a long chapter about it in the book i would suggest spending some time during the day usually first thing in the morning sitting in uh if you're faith-based that would be a time to read spiritual literature or the bible or to pray meditate if you're not so faith-based you could meditate or just sit in silence and keep a journal handy because this is not like an English assignment at school that you have to write in your journal. You don't have to write in it every day, but write down what happens, what comes to you, write down what feelings you can have a feeling wheel to help you identify the name of the feeling because most people who can't feel can't even name what it is. Mm. Um, so there is that that's vastly important. And not only do you have to know yourself and approve of yourself, love yourself. And a lot of people don't love themselves because of their acting out behavior. But if you get to know that little self part of you, that capital S self, you have to learn to love that part because you do have these little parts in you that are wounded. Yeah, um, yeah. So there is that. Also, besides getting to know you, 
you you learn to connect with others and learn who is trustworthy and who is not mm-hmm. i would never advise anyone to trust anyone wholeheartedly and completely uh, uh, but because they have to earn your trust but become discerning and i think neglected people are very discerning people anyway but i'm talking about maybe the partners <laughs> learn to trust and yeah. i like 12 step yeah. but it does not have to be through 12 step it can be in a group it can be in a faith-based organization somewhere where you can really reach out and be real with people and they will mm-hmm. accept you as you are mm-hmm. so those are two things know yourself connect with others um of course i'm i'm a big believer in body up therapy you know uh do something like emdr to reduce the impact of the trauma and emdr helps you to remember what happened and, and walk through it um yeah learn to have some boundaries most of us never Ooh. saw those. <laughs> How do you start with that one? Well, I, I think there's a teaching that goes with it. You know, you learn to have boundaries by learning what they are, where you end and the other person begins. So, you know, you may write a whole list of boundaries for your partner, but the partner deserves to have boundaries too. And, you know, not only do you expect another person to respect your boundaries, you have to contain yourself by respecting mm-hmm. the other person's boundary. Mm-hmm. No one gives you the right to harm, to do harm to the other. Yeah. Because in our, in our hearts and in our souls, we are deserving imperfect humans. Mm-hmm. Because your husband or wife may be a sex addict does not make them a monster. They're a wounded person or you would never have married you would never have married someone who's a monster. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I want to, I didn't tell you I was going to do this, but I want to share a story uh, about your book. Um, some okay. cl- So Enid and I have shared many clients over the years where, you know, I've seen w- one partner and she's seen the other, or I've seen the couple while she's working with one or some, some form of that. And there was one set of clients we were working with, Enid, you were seeing the partner and I was seeing them as a couple. And after your book came out, he, uh, he waited several months. His wife wanted him to read the book so badly. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> she said, read this, read this, read this. And he, and he, he told me, he said, I will read it but I know I cannot read it during normal everyday life. He said, but I am committing. I will read it. And several months later, he took that book out into the wilderness for like a week. And he spent a week in the wilderness with your book. And what came out of that for him was compassion for himself. Uh, he knew, he knew his story. He had an awareness of his story. He knew he would have never wanted his kids to experience what he experienced as a child. Um, So he had a lot of, a lot of cognitive awareness, but what was missing 
was self-compassion. And, and when he read your book and he de- began to develop compassion for himself, it really began to shift the dynamics of that relationship in some pretty significant ways. And so I, I thought of that as you were talking about healing, connecting with yourself um, and how important that is, knowing your story. Yeah. 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 You, uh, it's kind of like the golden rule do unto others as you would do unto yourself. Well, if you're going to be bashing yourself all the time, you're not going to be very good with others. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's assumed in there that there's a self love. Yeah. It's all connected. It really is. It's all connected. Yes. Yes. Well, Enid, this has been amazing and wonderful. Um, right here with the video folks if you want to contact Enid her contact info is there her book is available on Amazon uh, if you want to see that up. The- yeah so they can see the uh, the cover Jake, Jake couldn't find his book cover yeah my, mine's mine's <laughs> in my other office it's not here I don't have all my books in this office um, yeah. but folks it's it's a what I'll say about the book is Enid did a great job making it very accessible it's not, it's not some big thing. You're not going to use it as I a doorstop. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I did not write it for clinicians, really. I mean, clinicians can read it if they like, but yeah. it's, it's for people. It's for people and that came it across. Be. It's very accessible. Um, it's not too long, though I wouldn't say read it in an afternoon. Like, I, I would I, say read parts and let it. This is not a straight it. through Danielle Steele book. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Read it, reflect on it. You know, Enid was talking about earlier having that quiet time every day, getting that journal. If that feels daunting to just sit in silence, maybe you sit with Enid's book and a chapter of her book and reflect on it a little bit. The other thing I want to say about your book that I so appreciated, Enid, was um, many, many, many resources listed in the back. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so that's a that's a great resource of resources there so thank you so much enid thank you for i, I love this thank you i love talking to you yeah and i and look forward to seeing the rest of your summit thank you so much we're grateful to, to be with you okay okay bye-bye bye You've been listening to Betrayal Recovery Radio, the official podcast of AppSats. If you've received help or hope from this episode, I encourage you to share it with someone you know. If you've not yet done so, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite listening platform. Thank you for joining us. I'm Dr. Jake Porter, and you can always email me directly at jake at appsats.org. I'd love to hear your ideas, questions, or comments about the show. Until next time, keep choosing to use your voice and live your values. It's good for you and for this world.